learn from the Bible, and Lord, I pray that you would give me the words and the discernment that I need uh, to be able to preach your word. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Matthew chapter 28, and on Wednesday nights, we've been preaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the book of Matthew, and we're all the way to the end, and I, I, I looked this afternoon uh, through my notes, and we, we've, uh, I've preached uh, 52 messages out of the book of Matthew as we've gone verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We've been all in it uh, for a year. Uh, so as we've been studying God's Word and um, trying to learn from the Bible, and tonight we're in chapter 28, and tonight we'll be ending the book of Matthew, and it's, it's a short chapter, 20 verses, so we won't uh, spend too long uh, tonight, won't need to spend too long, I'm sure. Uh, I do want to encourage you that in a couple of weeks we're going to begin a new study, and we're not going to jump straight into another book, but we're going to spend uh, a few weeks studying the idea and the subject of prayer. I believe that one of the main things that we don't do as Christians is pray like we should. And I want to spend a few weeks on, on Wednesday night uh, just learning from the Bible uh, what it means to pray. And I think we can all learn to pray uh, better and be more consistent in our prayer life. So we'll be starting that in a couple of weeks. So just kind of giving you a heads up there. If you look at verse 1 of Matthew 28, the Bible says this, And in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, if you remember from last week in chapter 27, we saw that Jesus uh, died and was buried. And uh, we know that his disciples forsook him. Only the women were there uh, to, to, to by his side as he died. And here's what I want you to understand. As we, as we enter this first day of the week and we enter this chapter that deals with the resurrection, you need to understand this. No one expected the resurrection of Christ. No one was going to the grave on the first day of the week because they were saying, hey, Jesus said he was going to raise from the grave in three days and uh, let's go see if it's actually going to happen or let's go welcome him or let's go see Christ. No one was going to the tomb three days after his death to see, to see the resurrection. No one expected it. No one believed that he was coming. Uh, keep your finger there in Matthew 28. Go with me to John chapter number 19. Let me show you just real quickly why the women were even there. The fact that the women went to the sepulcher on the first day of the week was not that they expected Christ to resurrect. In John chapter 19, and you can find this in all of the Gospels, but I think it's pretty clear in John 19. If you look at verse 38, at the death of Christ, remember, Jesus died before a Sabbath day. Now, it wasn't the Sabbath day that we would consider Saturday, because John tells us that it was in high day. It was a special Sabbath day, um, and I don't have time to go there and explain all that. I've preached sermons on that before, but if you study the, the book of, of Exodus and you study the Passover, you'll know that there's the Sabbath day, which is a Passover, and then there's a Sabbath day after that, which is a holy day, and then Jesus, of course, it worked out on that week where it happened to be the Sabbath day, which was the seventh day, and then the first day of the week, all three days that Christ was in the grave uh, were all Sabbath days, and they were, it's just, it worked out that way. I'm sure God, of course, worked it out that way for a reason. If you look at John 19 and verse 38, the Bible says this, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, notice, that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave, 
He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. So we have this man, uh, Joseph of Arimathea, who asks if he can take the body of Christ uh, and, and take it. Look at verse 39. And there came also Nicodemus, which at first came to Jesus by night. Remember Nicodemus from John chapter 3? He came to Jesus and he asked him all those questions. Jesus said to him, he must be born again. Nicodemus at his death, the Bible says, there came also Nicodemus, which at first came by Je- uh, to Jesus by night and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Uh, then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes and spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. So notice, the Jews had a way that they would prepare a body to be able to bury it and this man Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus asked for the body of Christ and they took it and they prepared it uh, they wound it in linen clothes and spices as the manner of the Jews was to bury look at verse 41 now in the place when he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid now I don't have time to go through it so you got to look at it on your own but if you remember Christ died as, as the Passover lamb was being slain is when Jesus died because he is the Passover lamb. And they had to, if you remember, they had to take him off the cross, you know, right before that holy day and Sabbath day started because a body could not be left on the cross. So Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus are trying to do a good thing, but they're rushing through this as they're preparing the body uh, and, and they're trying to get it in the burial place. They, they can't have the body out. Once the Passover begins, look at verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new sepulcher. So in the same place where he died, basically they're saying there, there's this place where they could bury him, wherein was never a man yet laid. Look at verse 42. Then laid they Jesus therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. So they basically just chose this burial place because it was near to where Jesus died, and they kind of just wrapped his body, prepared it the best they could, put him in there, and and because they couldn't deal with the body, you know, once the Sabbath day, once the Passover began. If you go back to Matthew 28, look at verse 1, at the end of the Sabbath, so once these Sabbaths, because you were not allowed to touch these bodies during the Sabbath day, it was a day of rest and all those things. In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and other Marys to see the sepulcher. And in other, in other passages, in Mark, it tells us that they came with spices and ointments and all these different things. Basically, they were not coming to see the resurrection Christ, they were coming expecting to see a body that was dead in that tomb and what they were going to do was because of their love for Christ and just as a gesture of kindness, they were going to sit there and properly prepare the body of Christ for the burial because uh, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had done it uh, quickly and I'm sure the women even thought to themselves, even if they hadn't done it quickly they're guys, they probably are going to mess it all up, you know, so they were coming out to do that, they weren't expecting a resurrected Christ. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is this. They were coming expecting a dead body to, to you know, uh, clean and to cleanse and to prepare and to give a burial to. And not only were the women not expecting a resurrected Christ, nobody was. Nobody was thinking Christ was going to resurrect. Nobody was thinking, you know, three days ago. Now, the, the Pharisees were. Remember, in chapter 27, you're there in Matthew 28, look at Matthew 27. Look at verse number... Uh, 63, just right at the end of chapter 27. Verse number 63, saying, Sir, 
This is the Pharisees speaking to the governor. Sir, we remember that the deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so that the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way, make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. So it's interesting to me, the Pharisees, which were the enemy, they said, Hey, we remember that he said he would rise again on the third day so we want to put some soldiers there to make sure that the disciples don't come by night and take his body away and say that he resurrected but his own disciples and his followers did not expect Christ to resurrect look at verse 2 Matthew 28 verse 2 and behold there was a great earthquake this is I think this is the third earthquake since the death of Jesus Christ you think people would start getting the hint something's going on here Ever since this guy died, the, 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 you know, from noon to 3 p.m., the, the, the sun went dark, and we've been having all these earthquakes, and uh, this isn't normal. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, not, notice this, and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning, and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, remember the soldiers that we just read about in Matthew 20, 27, that were hired to keep? For fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, they didn't die, because in other passages we're told that they just fell out. They fainted. They, they shook. They were so scared. They fainted when they saw this angel come down, verse 5, and the angel answered uh, and said unto the women, he notice what he says to the women, Fear not ye. Now, here's what he's saying. They can fear, and they should be afraid, but don't, don't you fear. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with these women. They, they were at the side of Jesus as he died while the disciples ran away. Here the angel shows up, and they're not afraid, but uh, the, the soldiers, you know, faint. And he says, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. Look at verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come see the place where the Lord lay. Now here's what I want you to understand. The stone was not rolled away to let Jesus out. You know, you watch all these movies or whatever, and, and let me tell you something. A any movie and every movie that's about the Bible is wrong and inaccurate. People who actually read the Bible, you know when you watch those movies, they're constantly just doing things that are wrong. And people think like, well, I saw it in the movie, so it must be true. Just read your Bible, because the movies are always wrong. The angel never rolled the stone away to let Jesus out. He rolled the stone away to let people see that Jesus was already out. Jesus had already resurrected. Jesus had already came out of the tomb. He rolled the stone away so the women could look in and see that Jesus had resurrected. Christ was resurrected in a glorified body. And here, here's what's interesting. Keep your finger there in Matthew. Go back to John. You were just in John 19. Go to John chapter number 20. When Jesus resurrected, He resurrected in a glorified body. He resurrected in a body that was a spiritual body. And one of the characteristics that we learn about this body is that in the body of Christ, he was able to walk through material barriers. The, the stone was not rolled away, yet he got out. The stone was only rolled away to show that he wasn't in there. In John chapter 20, uh, we get this account. John 20, look at verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, now notice the Bible says this, when the doors were shut. Now look, Nothing in the Bible is put there just for fluff. If something is told us in Scripture, it's told us for a reason. God made sure that John said, Hey, when the disciples were meeting, the doors were shut. And why were they shut? 
where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Keep in mind, they've been following Christ, and the Jews just crucified Christ, and they're thinking to themselves, man, are they going to come after us? So they're, they're in this room. The doors are shut. They're probably locked. Notice, um, the Bible says, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst. You see that? So he comes in, the doors are closed, and yet he comes in. But he doesn't just come in, he appears, the word midst means in the middle of him. Imagine being in this room, the doors are shut, you're meeting there secretly, and all of a sudden Jesus appears in front of you. Okay, that was his glorified body. That, that is not something Christ did when he was on earth in, in the body that he spent the three and a half years. But when he resurrected, remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, and you know, we'll turn there later, but don't, don't turn there now. But do you remember, we, we saw this a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday night, where Paul said that when we are resurrected, this corruptible body will put on incorruption, and this mortal will put on immortality. And the glorified body of Christ was a powerful body that was, you know, able to walk through walls and walk, you know, walk out of stuff. And here's the point that I'm trying to make. The resurrection of Christ was unique. See, up to this point in Scripture, you had other people resurrected. Remember, Lazarus was resurrected. You have him resurrect people. Jesus resurrecting people throughout his ministry. Uh, Peter would resurrect people. Uh, uh, Paul would resurrect people in the book of Acts. In the Old Testament, you have Elisha resurrecting people. People were resurrected in the past, but they were not resurrected like Christ. Christ was resurrected to never die again. Do you understand that? He was resurrected in a glorified body. See, these other people that were resurrected, uh, we use the word resurrected, but really they were just kind of resuscitated. You know what I mean? I mean, the old body, they were brought back, yes, from the dead, but they were brought back in their old bodies. Lazarus died again. All the people that were resurrected died again. But Jesus, when he resurrected, he conquered death, never to die again. He resurrected in that glorified body, and this was unique in the resurrection of Christ. Now, here's what else is unique about the resurrection of Christ. Look at verse number 6. He is not here, is what the angel says, for he is risen. And I can almost hear, and I know the Bible doesn't say this, I'm not adding to the scripture. But I, if it was me, I would have said it like this. He's not here, for he is risen, <coughs> as he said. Because that's what he said. And here's what's unique about Christ. And here's what you got to understand about the resurrection. The resurrection is the key. It is the number one doctrinal distinction. It is why we believe in Christ. It is why we are meeting here on, in 2015 on a Wednesday night. We're opening God's Word and we're studying. Why are we doing this? Why do we have church? Why do we do these things? We do it because of this one event. If Christ had not resurrected from the grave, you and I would not be here today. The movement that is known as Christianity would have died out in the first century. It would have been stamped out by the Jews. It would have been stamped out by the Roman Empire. It wouldn't have lasted. It would have been like every other movement that's ever been. They, they had a leader that died and it just went away. But what made the difference, the reason that Christianity jumped onto the pages of history is because our leader, the one that we follow, not only died and not only was buried, but he resurrected. Now here's the interesting thing. He didn't just resurrect. He resurrected as he said. See, he predicted his own death, burial, and resurrection. You say, why do you follow Jesus Christ? Because when a guy can predict his death, burial, resurrection, and pull it off, you just kind of follow what he says. You just kind of go with what he says. He says, believe in me, you believe in him. He says, to worship him, you worship him. Because if he can do that, then obviously, he's not just a man. Look at Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 40. 
Matthew chapter 12. Let me give you some examples. And here's interesting. Jesus kept telling the disciples, I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect. I'm going to die, and I'm going to resurrect. But yet nobody was listening. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse number 40. And I'm sure it was hard for them to understand that. Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said this, For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Go to Matthew chapter 16, look at verse 21. You say, that's a little, you know, that's just a reference to the fact that he'd be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 16, look at verse 21. Matthew 16, verse 21. Matthew 16, 21 says this, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, notice, and be killed and be raised again, the third day. Jesus is telling them that he's going to be killed and he's going to raise again the third day. Matthew 17. Look at verse 23. I'm just going to show you the references in Matthew. You can find other references in the other Gospels. Matthew 17. Look at verse number 23. Matthew 17 and verse 23 says this, And they shall kill him. This is Jesus speaking of himself. Talking about the Messiah. He says, And they shall kill him. And the third day he shall be raised again. And they were exceeding sorry. Look at Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19. Matthew chapter 20 and verse 19. Matthew 20, 19 says, And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. Again, Jesus speaking about himself. And the third day he shall rise again. Go to Matthew 26. Look at verse 32. Matthew 26, verse 32. Matthew 26, verse 32 and verse 31, he says, you're going to be offended because of me and you're going to run away and you're not going to stick with me. But in verse 32, he says this, but after I am risen again, Matthew 26, 32, but after I am risen again, notice he says, I will go before you into Galilee. He not only tells him I'm going to resurrect, he, sa he says, let me tell you where we're going to meet. Let me give you the meeting spot. After I die, three days later, I'm going to resurrect and then I want you to meet with me in Galilee. Jesus predicted his death, his burial, his resurrection. He told us exactly how long he'd be in the grave. He said he would resurrect. Here's what you got to understand. This is what makes Christ unique. See, today, you know, these false religions want to focus on the death of Christ. And please understand this. To have a resurrection, you have to have a death. We understand that. And the Bible emphasizes the cross. But listen to me. There's a reason why you don't walk into Verity Baptist Church. You don't see some, you know, crucifix with, you know, Jesus on the cross. I'm not worshiping a Jesus on the cross. My Jesus is not dead. My Jesus resurrected. See, today people want to focus on the death. And, you know, we have the tombs of Buddha. And we have the tomb of Muhammad. And we have the tomb of Confucius. And we have the tomb of all these religious leaders. Hey, you'll never find a tomb for Christ. Because I saved you is resurrected and he predicted it and he said it and he said hey I'm going to die I will resurrect he came back he did exactly what he did that's what makes Christianity unique and it's not just a fairy tale it was a documented event go, go back to Matthew 28 look at verse 7 notice what he says the angels just got done telling them he said he said that he's risen as he said and then in verse 7, the Bible says, And go quickly, the angel speaking to the ladies, and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and behold, he goes before you into Galilee. Didn't we just read that in Matthew 26, 32? But after I am risen again, I will go before you into Galilee. So he says, hey, he's going to go before you into Galilee, as he said. There shall you see him, lo, I have told you. 
And they departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy, and did run to bring his disciples' word. And as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All hail. That, word, that phrase, all hail, is just an archaic form of a greeting, saying he's greeting them. And they came and held him by the feet, and notice this, worshipped him. See, Jesus, today people say, well, he was just a good man, and he was just a prophet, and he had good lessons, and he had good teachings, and he did good things. But you got to understand this. Jesus was not just a man and a prophet, and he had good teachings. He, he had all of that. But this was God in the flesh. So when they saw him, they worshipped him. Because he's God. Look at verse 10. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Go tell my brethren that ye go into Galilee, and there shall ye see me. As he said. He'd already told them, I'm going to meet you in Galilee. He'd already told them, when I, when I resurrect, here's where I'm going to meet you. Look at verse 11. Now, when they were going, behold... Now, I want you to see this. Some. Do you see that word some there? That means multiple. Not one, but some. Some of the watch. Because remember, there were soldiers whose entire job was to guard the tomb and make sure that no one took the body of Christ, right? Behold, some of the watch came into the city... And showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers. Now notice, you say, well, why did they give large money to the soldiers? Look at verse 13. Saying, say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. Now, do the soldiers think that the disciples came by night and stole him away? No. The soldiers know that an angel came out and scared them half to death, and they passed out, and when they came to, you know, the, the, the stone was rolled away, no one was in it, the women were gone, and they just kind of went back into the city and told the people. But they had to be bribed. They were given, notice, large money unto the soldiers. Because here's what you got to understand. In the Roman Empire, when it was your job to guard a prisoner, and you lost that prisoner, you were put to death in place of that prisoner. Remember when Paul had a guard that was guarding him on his way to Rome? Remember, if, if you read 9 chapters A, you read that story at the end of the book of Acts where they were in that storm and the soldiers wanted to kill all of the prisoners. Why? Because they knew if they lost one, they'd lose their life. Remember the Philippian jailer? When, he, when, when the earthquake happened and all the doors of the jails opened, the, the Philippian jailer took a sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Because he thought all the prisoners got away and he knew, well, they're going to kill me anyway. And Paul had to say, do thyself no harm. He said, we're all here. And he came in trembling and said, What must I do to be saved? And of course the answer is, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But the soldiers would lose their life for losing... Now, here's the thing. The soldiers will lose their life for losing a prisoner who's trying to get away. I mean, how bad is the thing going to be for you if you lost a guy that's supposedly dead? You know what I mean? Like, you lost a dead body? You know, so they come to him and they say, Hey, uh, you know that guy... Yeah, I think he was the son of God because an angel showed up and rolled the door away and I don't even know what happened because I blacked out after that. <laughs> and in verse 14, the Bible says, and if this come to the governor's ears, because here's what the soldiers said. They said, okay, you're going to give me a lot of money and you want me to go tell people that the disciples came by night and stole them away, but what if my boss hears? You know, I'm going to tell people that, because notice what they're saying. His disciples came by night and stole him away while he slept. Okay, now I don't know how many soldiers were there, but we know this. There was some, right? There was more than one 
You know, usually in these times, you would have like uh, a Roman quantorium, right? Which was like four soldiers. We saw that Jesus at his, at his burial, remember they were dividing his stuff into like two or three different soldiers. I mean, it wasn't one guy there. There were supposed to be a few guys there taking shifts, you know, uh, staying awake, watching this thing. So they're going to go around telling people, hey, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. So their concern is, well, what if my boss hears that? He's going to get upset. Look at verse 14. And if this come to the governor's ears, what the Pharisees said, we will persuade him and secure you. So he said, don't worry. If the governor hears that you're sleeping on the job, we'll tell him to just leave you alone because you're just saying what we told you to do. Here's my question. I, I, I want to ask these guys. You know, they're going around and people are saying, hey, Peter was over there saying that Jesus resurrected from the grave. You know, and these soldiers are going around saying, well, no, actually, we fell asleep, and while, the, while we were sleeping, the disciples came and, and took him. Here's my question. If you were sleeping, how do you know the disciples took him? I mean, weren't you sleeping? <laughs> you know, it's like your, your, your story doesn't make sense uh, any way you cut it. You're supposed, your whole job is to watch the cave, and you fell asleep. That doesn't make sense, you know. And then, uh, and then you're sleeping, but you know exactly who took him. Why don't you stop him? That doesn't make sense. So, you know, the whole thing is silly. The fact that uh, the resurrection, trying to cast doubt on the resurrection of Christ. But notice verse 15. So they, again plural, took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Go, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, just real quickly. We're almost done. I told you this is a short chapter and uh, just kind of an interesting idea of the Savior that we serve as a resurrected Savior. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians is known as the resurrection chapter. It deals with all the subjects about the resurrection. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Look at verse number 5. Paul says this. Well, actually, you know what? Let's, let's read from verse number 1. Let me turn there myself. I have the verses on my notes. but Let's read from verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Notice verse 1. Moreover, brethren... I declare unto you the gospel. So the Apostle Paul says he's going to declare the gospel to us, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein you stand. So those are all references to the gospel. He said, I'm going to declare the gospel to you. He says, the gospel that I preached to you, the gospel that ye received, wherein you stand, but which also ye are, by which also ye are saved. So you're saved by the gospel. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ, here's the gospel. Okay, you want to know what the gospel is? Number one, Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Number two, in verse four, and that he was buried. And, number three, that he rose again in the third day according to the scriptures. That's what Paul defines as the gospel. Now, notice what he says about this gospel. Because here's what you understand. This was not a fairy tale. This was not something that was just kind of made up. In verse 5, Paul says, And he was seen of Cephas, this is Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above, notice, five hundred brethren at once. Now I want you to notice this phrase, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. So Jesus at one time, now Paul is not even talking about everybody who saw Christ, because in, this, in, this, uh, in his list here, we don't even have the women mentioned that Jesus appeared to. 
He's just giving us a list of people, you know, he's like, he says, you've seen of Cephas, you've seen of the twelve, about five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. The apostle Paul said that he saw him on the road to Damascus, he saw Christ. But let me say this before I get too much on a tangent. Verse 8, last of all, he was seen of me. According to Paul, who was the last person who saw Jesus? Paul was. He said, I'm the last person that saw Jesus. And by the way, the next time anybody sees Jesus, it'll be when we all see Jesus coming in the clouds with power and great glory. So when somebody says to you, I had a revelation. I saw Jesus. I don't know who they saw in their room. They might need to get an alarm system or get off drugs or whatever their problem is. But they didn't see Jesus. Here's how I know they didn't see Jesus. Because Paul said the last one to see Jesus was Paul. And I'd rather trust Paul than some televangelist on the screen. Because some televangelists can lie. But this is the Word of God, and Paul said he was the last one to see Jesus. But here's what I want you to see. Jesus appeared to over 500 people at once, and this is, this is key. He said, Paul said, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. Here's what Paul was saying. At the writing of 1 Corinthians 15, most of the 500 people that saw Jesus at once were still alive. That's key, because you've got to understand this. People like to say about the Bible, it's just fairy tales, it's just stories, it's just, you know, it's just made up. But here's what you got to understand. It is a documented fact that Christ rose from the grave. You say, well, how do you know? Because there were witnesses and it was written. You say, well, well how do you know the witnesses don't lie? How do you know anything? How do you know any book that you've ever read, any history book? How do you know that Abraham Lincoln was real and Napoleon Bonaparte was real and, and all these men in, in history were real if it wasn't just because there was witnesses that witnessed it and wrote it down? Amen. I mean, that, that's how you prove. You go to court and you prove and what based on witnesses. Amen. And God gave us a Bible. Now, here's what you got to understand. The Bible was not written 400 or 500 or 1,000 years after the fact. See, if, if Scripture would have been written a thousand years after it happened, or even 500 years after it happened, we could say, well, nobody was there, nobody knows, and it was just made up. But here's what you got to understand. When Paul is writing the words down about the fact of the resurrection of Christ, as he's writing the words, most of the 500 people that saw it are alive to be able to say, yeah, that's what happened. And here's what you got to understand. A movement that would last 2,000 years plus, the fact that we are still talking about Jesus Christ, the fact that we are still celebrating His resurrection in 2015, is the proof that you need that He really did resurrect from the grave. Because if it wasn't true, it would not have came out of the first century. You think Peter, and you think the, James, and you think the apostles, if they really stole the body of Christ out of the tomb just you know just because they're because they're immature and they just wanted to play a practical joke on all the pharisees and they went in there you know while the guy you know they brought the guys hot chocolate and they made sure they fell asleep then they took jesus you think they would have died you know just lost their heads and 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 die in, in the ways they did because of something that they knew wasn't true see here's what you're gonna understand the fact that christianity has made it this far proves that it happened. Because in the first century, when Paul and Peter and these men were writing these accounts, the accounts of the gospel were not written 
hundreds of years later, they were written within decades, while the people that saw it, if you watch the, if you listen to the, the read the, the sermon of uh, uh, Pentecost there, Peter is saying, you saw him, you delivered him to death, you saw the miracles, you saw the power, and the fact that these things were documented while people were alive to attest, yes, it happened, and it moved on out of the first century. And we're still talking about it today? Proofs that this really did happen. And if you deny the resurrection of Christ, then you need to just go ahead and start denying everything you've ever heard about history and the Revolutionary War never happened and, you know, uh, the colonies never happened because you weren't there, nobody was alive to see it, and all you know is truth is because there was witnesses and you read it in a book. And I'd rather trust this book than some history book. I'd rather trust this book than some book written by the government. Because we know the government's been known to lie. Let's go back to Matthew 28, look at verse number 16. Matthew 28, verse number 16. Jesus resurrected. Jesus not only resurrected, He accurately called it, which makes Him different than any other resurrection. He resurrected with a glorified body, never to die again. Matthew 28, verse 16, notice what the Bible says. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him. That's what you do when you see Jesus. You worship Him. Now notice this, but some doubted. And by the way, today believers doubt. It's okay. Remember John doubted, John the Baptist. Verse 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, Now notice what Jesus says. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now again, if I walk up to you and I say, hey, listen, all power is given unto me in heaven and the earth. You're going to say, okay. But if I just pulled off my own resurrection, those words mean something. I saw you die and you just appeared in front of me. And now 500 of us, we're not hallucinating, we're not, you know, just making this up. 500 of us have seen you at once, and now you're here, and you are saying to me, all power is given unto me in heaven and the earth. Now here's the question I have for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that all power is given unto Jesus Christ in heaven and the earth? Do you believe that He resurrected from the grave? Do you say, well, well, you know, it's a historical fact. Even more than a historical fact, do you believe it just because of the faith in your heart, because there's a God and the Spirit of God that tells you these things are true and this is real and this happened? Like the song says, you know, you ask me how I know He lives, He lives within my heart. That's how I know He lives. Do you believe that? Because here's what Jesus said. All power is given unto me in heaven and the earth. And then he said this, Go ye therefore. I love the therefores in the Bible. Someone said this, When you see a therefore, you ought to figure out what it's there for. Because here's what the word therefore means. He says, it means this, For this reason. He says, I want you to go ye therefore, go, go ye and do what? And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. He said, I want you to go, and this is what's known as the Great Commission. I want you to go and teach all nations. I want you to preach to every creature. I want to spread the word. I want you to tell the gospel. I want you to tell people about the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that it brings forgiveness and the fact that you don't have to die and go to hell, that you don't have to meet God as a man. You can meet God with Jesus on your side, having His righteousness imputed upon you because he died on the cross for your sins. Jesus said, I want you to go. And he says, here's why. 
because all power is given unto me in heaven and the earth. So he says, therefore, go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Host, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And he says, and by the way, Lord, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You want to know why Christianity has lasted over 2,000 years? Do you want to know why it came out of the first century? Because if a man who says, I am God, and here's how I'll prove it, I'll die for you, I'll be in the grave for three days, and three days later, I'm going to resurrect, and I'll meet you in Galilee, make sure you're not late. Pulls that off, and then he tells you, because I was able to do that, I want you to go and spread this. You just do it. Whether anyone wants to kill you, whether anyone wants to shut you up, whether any soldier wants to lie and say, no, he wasn't there, you just do what he said because he resurrected. So my question for you is this. Are you doing it? Do you believe? You say, I believe the resurrection. Well, then go ye therefore. Well, I believe in the power of God. Then go ye therefore. Because here's the only thing that God... See, we're not a movement. Jesus did not come to start a revolution. Jesus did not come to, 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 to get rid of the Roman government and bring in a new... No, Jesus came to do one thing. To teach people about salvation. To baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then to disciple them and teach them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And he says, this is not just for the apostles. It's not, he says, and I want you to do this until the end of the world. He said, you just do this till I come back. He said, I'm going to leave. And when I get back, I want you to continue to do it. He said, well, why should we do it? Here's why. Because he resurrected. And all power was given unto him. Go ye therefore. See, his death was the payment. And if his death was the payment, the resurrection is like the receipt. It just proves it. It just shows us that he is who he said he is. And if he is who he said he is, and he pulled it off, then go ye therefore. Because when a guy can predict his own death and resurrection, and he does it, you just kind of do what he tells you to do. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Father... Lord, I ask that you would please help us to realize that the resurrection is not a myth. It's not a fable that was cunningly created. It's as good as gospel because it is the gospel. It's the word of God. It's not only a historical fact, but your spirit tells us it's true. And if it is true, and if we do believe it, then, Father, help us to always go. Not because of who I am or what I represent, but because of who Christ is and because of the power that was given to Him. And I should just go ye therefore. So, Father, help us to be a people that would go and witness and win souls to Christ to spread the gospel, the message of salvation. In your precious name I pray. Amen.